Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Today, we're going to look at a portrait of two different churches that were willing to color outside the lines. And yet, it was because of their creativity that the gospel expanded as quickly as it did. In fact, in a very real sense, you and I are Christians today because of the creativity of these two churches. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Whether you're an artist or an accountant, creativity is essential for success in every area of life, and that includes ministry. Now today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about two first century churches who experienced God's blessing because they were willing to get creative with sharing the gospel. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. It's often my pleasure to meet people at the airport or in my community who recognize my voice because of Pathway to Victory. They often express their thanks for this daily program, and their positive feedback truly encourages me. Right now, the question people are asking me is this. Pastor, how are we doing meeting the $500,000 matching challenge? Are we going to make the goal? Well, if we had a tally of our progress so far, I would surely give it to you right now, but it's too early to give a detailed report. However, I am grateful to say that the phones at Pathway to Victory are ringing. We're hearing from our friends who give generous gifts online at ptv.org as well. And the postman has hand-carried letters to Pathway to Victory. The initial signs are very encouraging. But it's now your time to respond. No gift is too small to make a difference. Every gift counts toward this goal. So, if you've had good intentions to participate in the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge, the time to respond is right now. The deadline for receiving your gift is just one week from today, July 4th. Because of this matching challenge, every gift we receive will be matched and therefore doubled in size, meaning your gift has twice the impact. Plus, to say thanks for your generous gift today, I'm going to send you my brand new book. It's called Unstoppable Power, and it's based on Acts chapters 1 through 12. More details later in today's program, but right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I titled today's message, Coloring Outside the Lines. If I ask you to make a list of the most creative people in history... I imagine some of you would write down uh, Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, perhaps Beethoven, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, perhaps even Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs in today's culture. But no list of creativity would be complete without the name Walt Disney. Walt Disney was a creative genius. In fact, his genius, his biographer said, emerged at an early age. The biographer tells the story of Walt Disney being in the fourth grade, and his teacher gave an assignment to the class to draw a little bouquet of flowers that she had sitting on her desk. And she made the rounds to check each children, child's progress, and she stopped cold at Walt's desk. She looked down and noticed that he had replaced the bloom of the flower with human faces, and where there should have been leaves, there should have, he put arms instead. She chastised him, but his biographer says, nevertheless, Walt Disney continued 
to draw things the way he saw them. We might say Walt Disney learned how to color outside the lines. I can't help but compare Disney's experience to my own. When I was in the first grade, my teacher was very distressed about my inability to color within the lines. She called my parents in for a conference, certain that I had some kind of mental deficiency, and she said to my parents, Robert is a sweet little boy, but don't expect too much out of him. <laughs> Coloring outside the lines is not always appreciated, but learning to be creative, to color out the signs is necessary for success in every area of life, including sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at a portrait of two different churches that were willing to color outside the lines. And yet, it was because of their creativity that the gospel expanded as quickly as it did. In fact, in a very real sense, you and I are Christians today because of the creativity of these two churches. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. We see that the church at Jerusalem was willing to color outside the lines of prejudice. And let's see how that happened. Verse one, now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Word spread like wildfire from Caesarea by the sea about Cornelius being converted and what Peter had done. It had traveled back to Jerusalem and uh, the Jews there weren't exactly thrilled about it. Why? Look at verses two and three. It went outside what they believed was proper. And when Peter finally returned to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, that is the Jews, took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, Gentiles, and you ate with them. They had not only heard how Peter had shared the gospel with them, but he stayed with Cornelius and the family for a couple of days, which means he ate with them. That was forbidden. And these Jews could still smell the bacon breath that Peter had probably. When he got back to Jerusalem, they said, something is wrong with this. So how did Peter respond to their criticism? Look at verse four. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence all that happened. He spoke calmly. He said, let me tell you the story. I was on the top of Simon the Tanner's house when this vision came to me of the sheep coming down with clean and unclean animals. And God said to me, don't any longer declare unclean what is clean. And I was thinking about what that meant when suddenly I was uh, dispatched to Caesarea to preach the gospel to uh, Cornelius. And he and his family not only believed, but they received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, therefore, Peter said to these Jewish leaders, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's way? It's a great verse. Who are we to stand in God's way of what God is doing? Now, let's give these Jewish leaders some credit. Even though they had been trained since early childhood that Gentiles were nothing more than mongrel, disease-ridden dogs roaming up and down the streets of Jerusalem, even though they had been taught that, when they heard what Peter testified, they had a change of heart. They changed their mind. Verse 18, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance leading to life. They were willing to admit they were wrong. 
They were coloring outside the line of their man-made prejudice. Now, when we come to verse 19, we look at another church, the church at Antioch that was willing to color outside the lines of tradition to reach people with the gospel. And I want to show you four ways the church at Antioch colored beyond the boundaries of tradition that are encapsulated in that saying, we've never done it that way before. This church was willing to go beyond that. First of all, notice in verses 19 to 21, they were willing to establish the first Gentile church, the first Gentile church. Look at verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen, remember when Stephen was martyred, the church scattered, but that Greek word scattered means planted. God used persecution to scatter the church so it could be planted throughout the world. Some people went to Phoenicia and Cyprus and to Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, right behind Rome and Alexandria. It was an idolatrous city, a pagan city. Some of these Jewish Christians went to Antioch but notice, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. They were still bound up a little bit in their prejudice. It's not that they didn't believe Gentiles could be saved, but they didn't want to have any part of it. And so they just spoke to their fellow Jews. But, and this is in key word, verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch, and they begin speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how God uh, blessed their church. It grew in numbers, in fact, in such numbers that secondly, the church had to expand its leadership team. Now, notice when the church at Jerusalem heard about this explosive growth, to their credit, they didn't try to shut it down. They didn't say, oh, this church is growing too quickly. It's a threat to us. No, what did they do? Look at verse 22. The news about Antioch reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Good old Barnabas. We see him again, the son of encouragement. Remember, we met him in Acts 4 when he gave that gift to the church and encouraged the church. And when the church said, we need somebody to go encourage these new Christians, they send Barnabas. And so what did he do? Look at verse 23. When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he began to encourage them. That's what he did. He encouraged people. He encouraged them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. His message to these new converts was to remain true to the Lord. Why was that his message? Because he understood something that is still true today. When a Christian is a baby Christian, they're in great danger of falling away from the faith because they haven't developed the maturity they need to stay strong. Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Remember, he talked about seed, the word of God that is planted in fertile soil and it begins to grow. But when the hot sun comes out, it withers away and dies because it hasn't established that root system necessary to get the moisture that it needs from the ground. He said, that's why it's so important that we encourage and nurture new Christians so that they don't dry up and get discouraged because of problems they face. That's what he did. He began to encourage them with a resolute heart. In fact, he had so many of these people that he couldn't handle it all on his own. 
The church was growing exponentially. How do I know that? Look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and uh, underline it, large number were being saved. They turned to the Lord. Verse 24, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Verse 26, and for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Three times in three verses, the word numbers, large numbers is used. Have you ever heard people say, well, God doesn't care about numbers? God does care about numbers because numbers represent people. Some people are trying to be more spiritual than God is. God cares about numbers, but they want something done with those numbers. So what did they do? Well, they started to teach them. And so Barnabas realized he could not handle this on his own. So he went out, and here he is, coloring outside the lines of tradition. He goes to hire the first church staff member in history. He needs somebody to assist him in the work. And who does he go after? He remembers that guy named Saul, Paul. Remember, the last time we saw Paul was five years earlier in Acts chapter 9. He had been in Jerusalem. They were plotting to kill him, so his friends put him on that ship at Caesarea and sent him back home to Tarsus, where he's been ministering for the last five years. But when Barnabas needs somebody to work with him, he leaves Antioch, and he goes to Tarsus, and he finds the apostle Paul to assist him in the ministry. And that leads to the third way they colored outside the lines. The church at Antioch taught God's word in the church. Now, this is key. Look at verse 26. When Barnabas found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. In Acts 2.46, which was 12 years before this, after the day of Pentecost, the Bible says the Christians had some kind of meeting at the temple. We don't know what they did. They gathered at the temple, perhaps in the courtyard, to sing and to pray. But mainly, Acts 2.46 says, they went from house to house teaching the word and strengthening believers. But now that changes. Now when we're in Antioch, the Bible says that they met with the church. That Greek preposition with is en in the church. You know what in means? In the church. They were not meeting in homes exclusively. The numbers had outgrown that. They met in one place. We have no idea where it was, but it was in one place large enough to accommodate the considerable uh, numbers that were coming to the Lord, and Barnabas and Paul taught them the Word of God. When they got together as a church, what did they do? Now, listen to this. When they came together as a church, they didn't sign petitions to remove the Roman emperor. That's not what they did. They did not organize themselves into service projects to meet the need of their community of Antioch. No, they met together to hear the word of God taught. Barnabas Paul understood that the only way these new Christians were going to survive in a moral, spiritual cesspool like Antioch was to be taught the Word of God. And that is true 2,000 years later today. I read this week an article by a theologian I rarely agree with, but he was right on target with this. He asked the question, why is it countless Christians are embracing ungodly, unbiblical teachings like transgenderism or abortion or same-sex marriage or universal salvation. 
Why are Christians now falling away from even being identified as Christians? How do you explain the apostasy? He said, we as the church have failed to teach our people God's word. We're doing everything in the church except teaching God's word. He went on to say the average Christian comes to church maybe once or twice a month. He comes for a 60-minute sermon. Half of it is uh, announcements and music, and it's followed by 25 minutes of a feel-good sermon. And we wonder why people are falling away from the faith. They're not being grounded in. They're not being taught the Word of God. And look, we do a lot of things at First Baptist Dallas, but our central method for making disciples is by preaching the Word every Sunday in this pulpit and teaching God's Word in Sunday school and in our DU. You can't get enough of God's Word to withstand the onslaught of attack we're facing in today's culture. That is our method, and we're not going to apologize for it. We are teaching the Word of God. And may I point out to you where this happened. They taught God's Word in the church. In the church. May I share something with you that is a deep concern to me as your pastor? Christianity is a team sport. It was never meant to be practiced in isolation. We need the encouragement that comes from one another. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25? Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, not coming to church becomes a habit, even back in the first century. We're like pieces of charcoal in a burning fireplace. That charcoal burns a bright orange as long as it's in the fireplace. But if you take out that piece of burning charcoal and set it outside the fireplace on its own very quickly, it turns to a steel-cold gray color. And the only way to ignite that piece of charcoal again is to put it back in the fire. We're like that. When we're separated from other believers, we tend to grow very cold very quickly in our faith. We need the heat, if you will, the encouragement, the stimulation that comes from other Christians. That's God's plan. God's plan is for us to grow strong through the teaching of God's Word. And how do we know if we're growing strong? God didn't give us His Word to make us smarter sinners. He gave us his word to become more like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. What is the purpose of the church? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Here it is, to a mature man. What does that mean to be a mature person? To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Don't miss this. The mission of the church, the mission of First Baptist Church is to what? Make disciples. The method for fulfilling that mission is teaching people the Word of God. But the measure of whether we're successful is how closely we resemble Jesus Christ in our attitudes, our actions, our affections. And by that standard, the church at Antioch was a raging success. How do I know that? Look at the fourth way they colored outside the lines of tradition. 
Verse 26 ends with this word, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. As a result of hearing and applying God's word, they were first called Christians. Now, they did not call themselves Christians. In fact, did you know never in the Bible do Christians refer to themselves as Christians or refer to other people as Christians? That word Christians is a term that was used by the godless pagan residents of Antioch to call these believers in Jesus Christ. The word Christians comes from two words, Christos, referring to the Messiah, Jesus, and Ianos, which means the members of a sect or a political party. These Believers in Antioch weren't known as being Republicans or Democrats. They were part of a sect of Jesus Christ. When these Antioch residents said, oh, they're just a bunch of Christians. Literally, they are Christ ones. They are Christ people. As we used to say, they're Jesus freaks. That's who they are. They meant it as a pejorative term, but there's no greater compliment for somebody than to be called a follower, a Jesus freak. Remember that question we used to ask years ago? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? For these Antioch Christians, there was enough evidence, so much so that even the pagans were referring to them as Jesus people. In his commentary on the book of Acts, Dr. Criswell tells the true story of Alexander the Great, who conquered the world by age 23. One day it came to Alexander's attention that he had a soldier in his army whose name was also Alexander. He had been named Alexander in honor of the great general, but he was a notorious coward. And so he asked to see the cowardly soldier. The soldier was brought in and the great general looked at him and he said, is it true that your name is Alexander and you were named so in my honor? The trembling soldier said, yes, sir, it is. The great conqueror said, then either become a brave soldier or change your name. In this world that becomes increasingly darker with each passing day, it's imperative that those of us who call ourselves Christians either change our behavior or change our name. Even as I'm reminded of this encounter between the great general and his namesake, I'm personally convicted to reflect the magnitude of our name. It's the greatest privilege in life to be called a Christian. Well, there's only one day remaining in our teaching series called Unstoppable Power. Our study will conclude on tomorrow's program. And for that reason, I want to be sure that you're among the first to receive a copy of my brand new book. It's also called Unstoppable Power. By now, I hope you realize the nature of this study. By reading these real-life stories in the book of Acts, we gain courage and inspiration for our times. When we feel shunned by those who mock our Christian beliefs, sometimes it's tempting to go silent. Friends, Jesus called us to be salt and light, and no person and no circumstance can prevail against the power of God. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request your copy of my book, Unstoppable Power. 
As an added benefit, when you give right now, your gift will be applied to the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. That means every dollar you give before the deadline on July 4th will be matched by a group of friends and therefore doubled in size because of this matching challenge until we reach the goal of $500,000. Let me add this. The Lord is growing our radio, television, and internet ministry, and He's increasing our ability to impact an ever-darkening culture with the light of His Son, Jesus Christ. But summer can be a difficult season. As our friends and supporters get busy, giving sometimes decreases. And so, as we approach the July 4th deadline, please give your very best gift as the Lord leads you. Thank you so much for your generosity. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we're going to send you a copy of the brand new book by Dr. Jeffers called Unstoppable Power. And don't forget, because of our Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge, your gift to Pathway to Victory will be matched and therefore doubled in impact. Call us toll-free at 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. And when you give $100 or more, we'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Unstoppable Power teaching series, along with a helpful study guide. Today and tomorrow, though, are the last days these resources will be available, so be sure to get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. If you'd like to send your gift by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back next time when Dr. Jeffress talks about a first-century Christian who found himself behind bars for sharing the gospel. His miraculous release is proof that God is faithful when we pray. Listen Wednesday to Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.